is Marjorie Kelly Cowan, and I wrote the textbook Microbiology, a Systems Approach, and also Fundamentals of Microbiology, a Clinical Approach, and you may be using one of these in your microbiology course. I decided just to put together a little presentation about um, vaccines in general, and in particular, the COVID-19 vaccines, which are being rolled out now, so that we have a little better understanding of them. I will be using some pictures or figures. Um, most of them can be found either in Chapter 13 in the Fundamentals book or in Chapter 15 in the Systems Approach book. So just to review some adaptive immunity characteristics, I'm just going to focus on three for the current topic. First of all, adaptive immunity is always specific. So it is a response to a single specific antigen. And an antigen is a piece of a microbe, an outside part of it, or um, something similar. And it's not going to react to other microbes um, once it's been activated towards this one specific antigen. The next property which is important for our purposes is that it's inducible, meaning it's off most of the time unless that particular antigen to which it was originally sensitized um, appears again in the body and then the immune response to that antigen is induced. Lastly, the property that really makes vaccines possible is that adaptive immunity has memory. Um, once the immune system has been activated by a single specific antigen, the next time it encounters that antigen, there are uh, there is a whole army of cells and reactions specifically ready to act against that second exposure to the antigen. And that's due to the capacity for adaptive immunity um, to have memory. So you may um, already know that adaptive immunity comes in two different ways, both naturally either from being sick or from um, breastfeeding your child, for instance. And it can come artificially by giving a vaccine or by administering preformed antibodies in what we call passive immunotherapy. But we're going to focus on the active immunity both um, when you acquire immunity because you have already suffered an infection and the consequences of it in the top there, or because um, we have mimicked the infection by giving you a vaccine that causes your body to create memory so you can have a robust response later on when you first encounter the antigen in a natural setting. So we've got active immunity that's natural and active immunity that is what we call artificial. So this graph pretty much explains how this all works and I'll just walk you through it if you don't mind. On the top, on the vertical axis we have 
antibody titer, which is the concentration of antibodies to a particular antigen, remember specifically to one antigen, that's released into the bloodstream over time, which is the horizontal axis, um, and what happens. So if we look to the far left of the graph in the yellow section where it says first exposure to antigen, let's say this is when you first um, acquired the infection from the environment, from someone else, and it takes quite a while for the dark blue line, which represents total amounts of antibodies, it takes quite a while, in days to even weeks, for a large concentration of antibodies to be formed that first time during the primary response. Now, what happens if we move over to the light blue box, the next time you're exposed to that very same antigen, the memory cells, the memory response is already prepared to jump up and create a whole lot of antibodies very quickly. That's called the secondary response and usually that is enough and quick enough that it will prevent the symptoms of the disease from occurring. So that's what happens in a natural situation. The first time you have an infection you go ahead and feel the effects of the disease until you get enough antibodies, the total antibodies here represented in the dark blue. But the second time you encounter that same antigen, which is part of an organism that's going to cause you disease, the response is so quick and so strong that you are usually spared from feeling the effects of the disease. So this is what happens in a natural scenario whenever we're exposed two particular um, antigens. Now, vaccines serve to create first exposure to the antigen in such a way that the memory cells are produced, but there is no disease caused. And that's why vaccines are made so that they are antigenic, but not pathogenic. So the parts of the uh, microorganism represented in the vaccine are not enough to cause disease, but they're enough to alert the immune system to create a primary response. So vaccination in this case will constitute your first exposure to the antigen. Some days or weeks later, you will have a rather significant antibody response. Again, look at the dark blue line on the top. Sometimes um, then what happens is when you're exposed to the antigen in the real world for the first time, your body remembers it because your body's immune system, uh, adaptive immunity, reads this as the second time you've been exposed to the antigen and the memory cells and the memory response is already there so there's a quick um, antibody response as shown in the dark blue line in the light blue box. Now if we're going to talk about COVID-19, COVID-19 is the disease called caused by SARS-CoV-2 that's the name of the virus, SARS-CoV-2. The vaccinations that have been developed um, 
so far require two doses um, during the primary response phase, so almost a booster dose to help that primary um, quantity of antibodies to be created. But once that's done, any time after that, when you become exposed to the actual virus, you will have this very quick response. And it should, if all goes well, and it seems that it is going well, it should prevent you from experiencing the symptoms of the disease. Now I'm going to give a little refresher on how vaccines are generally made. And there are several different types. The first type is a killed bacterial cell or an inactivated virus, which is then used as um, the vaccine itself, the whole cell or the whole virus both of which would be inactivated and not able to multiply. So you can see how that would stimulate immunity because the body responds to the antigens on the surface but does not cause disease since the organisms can't multiply. The second thing, a second way that vaccines are made is by using live attenuated microorganisms. Attenuated means weakened so that while they're still alive, when they are injected into you in a vaccine, they are so weak that they can't cause disease, but they will cause um, recognition by the immune system and the creation of memory cells, etc. So we've used vaccines like these for a very long time. The, the inactivated virus vaccine is what an influenza injection is, the vaccine that's an injection. There, from time to time, a nasal vaccine uh, for influenza is available, and that is indeed a live virus. But the vast majority of vaccines for influenza are injections, and they use um, inactivated virus. So it's impossible for you to get the flu from getting the flu vaccine, although many people think that's what is happening. And, and if I can just digress a moment, What's usually happening when people feel like they got the flu from the flu vaccine is that there are other viruses circulating in the environment at the same time in the fall and the winter, and you may be susceptible to those, and you may be even a little bit more susceptible to those because your immune system is so busy creating an immune response, a primary response to the influenza antigens on the inactivated virus that has been injected into your arm. Um, so you do not have the flu, but you may have um, other kinds of respiratory viruses. Okay, we also use live attenuated viruses very commonly in our childhood series of vaccinations. The measles, mumps, and rubella shot uses uh, live attenuated um, measles, mumps, and rubella viruses. They don't cause the disease, they just cause the immune system to be activated. Another thing, uh, another way that vaccines are made is that simply parts of the microbes are used in the vaccine, not the whole cell or the whole virus. This could be 
um, pieces of the surface of a virus that are um, harvested in a laboratory and put into a vaccine so that when your body sees those surface antigens in real life, they will already have built a response to them. Another way that can happen is when a bacterium causes a toxin-mediated disease, such as with um, tetanus or um, botulism. In that case, vaccines against those diseases are made by harvesting the toxin from the bacterium. So the bacterium is discarded, thrown away, and we only have the toxin. And then the toxin is altered into what we call a toxoid, again, so that it can stimulate the immune system, but it won't cause effects of a um, full-blown toxin. Sometimes these parts of organisms can be genetically engineered. What the hepatitis B vaccine consists of. The DNA for the antigen is identified in the virus, and that DNA is clipped out, put into a plasmid, and um, that plasmid is put into a workhorse cell, either a yeast or a bacterium, that simply churns out copies of the hepatitis protein without the hepatitis virus um, even being present in the in the reaction and then those genetically engineered proteins or antigens are used for the vaccine so as i said these have been used um, for decades now um, with the hepatitis b vaccine and then the toxoid treatment um, creates vaccines um, that we for tetanus, for instance. Now, for the first time ever, a vaccine has been uh, developed and authorized for use using the mRNA technique. And that technique, if you recall, um, we go way back to genetics and we think about um, how a sequence of DNA is made into a protein. Well, the DNA is transcribed into RNA and the message is on messenger RNA, and then messenger RNA and the other RNA together and create proteins. So with any vaccines, the messenger RNA for the spike protein on the virus is extracted from the virus. Again, the virus we just have messenger RNA for the spike protein. The view of their vaccine data, and independent panels of scientists and physicians review all the data to see if the benefits outweigh any risks. And they make a recommendation to the vaccine authorities at the Drug Administration, and a determination is made about whether the vaccine can go to market or not. Now, generally, this process, the whole process shown in the full box, it does take months to years, usually years, um, when the vaccine is being provided. But when an emergency situation is a pandemic, killing thousands of people. Um, the process can be set up. In this case, it was set up. All three days were, and, and this was whatever was turning on. Is it worse? Is it better? That would only better um, the phase four or the continuous monitoring is going on right now with both COVID 19 vaccines. You might have heard that those vaccines received emergency use authorization, which points to the bottom of this chart 
Um, things were sped along. Corners were not cut, but speed was um, the objective here because of um, the very large loss of life and emergency use authorization expedites the review of the vaccine data um, so that more benefit versus risk can be realized for the population. And so both of the vaccines we're going to talk about received emergency use authorization from the FDA, and both of them continue to be monitored as shown in this green box. Just a little bit of a step back here to look at vaccines in general. Um, here we have six diseases, and in the United States in the 20th century, we have a listing of the average number of annual cases. Let's look at measles. The average number of annual cases of measles in the 20th century was half a million, 530,000. But by 2010, there were only 61 cases. That's a 99.99% reduction. And I think you can see across the board from smallpox to rubella, very large reductions in cases and also of course in deaths due to the effectiveness of vaccine. So currently, on March 25th, 2021, there are two vaccines for infectious diseases. And then to get up to scale, they are manufactured in a commercial facility to be perfected and to be distributed. The vaccines for COVID-19 were developed using mRNA technology, which has been studied for decades now, or recombinant techniques that have been used in vaccines for years. And as we've seen, the safety data that we've gathered from the first 4.6 million doses and phase two and phase three clinical trials show us that the vaccines are as safe as the general vaccines we've been taking all our lives. When you look at that safety profile up against the fact that 352,000 people in the United States died last year due to COVID and worldwide 1.8 million died, not to mention the long-lasting, well-documented effects that many people who recover from COVID, even when they don't have serious disease, um, they can have effects such as cardiomyopathy, um, muscle pains, fatigue, etc. Real lifestyle inhibiting consequences from an infection with COVID. So the fact that our COVID vaccines are proving to be safe, we can end the pandemic with the vaccine if majority of people get majority which we do in both of the vaccines that are being used right now, then it is suggested to talk to the to have 